What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. And you're talking about these documents. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Recorded live. A-U-N, American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the Godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, we are so honored to have Jim Fetzer, uh, Dr. Jim Fetzer, on this call, on this show for many, many times. And uh, a thought just came to me prior to this show officially starting. And it's almost as if, you know, when Jim comes on, there is this uh, wonderful opportunity to sit back and see him like paint this, this, this beautiful picture of truth. And uh, in, inside this picture, I'm imagining this tree, <clears throat> where pictures coming from the holidays, I'm going to call it a conspiratory. Instead of a conspiracy, it's a conspiratory. And we have these ornaments that are hung on this tree that the likes of Jim and many others in the truth movement have been identifying, have been, you know, connecting and inside this tree, there are branches, and there's a, there's a spine, and there's one common root system. So when Jim presents all of his information and updates us on this call, just imagine this conspiratory. 
because it is all connected. And the more Jim comes on here and the more people in the truth movement bring out their research, eventually people are going to wake up. And, and I'm gratified prior to the show starting, we heard that Hannity, right as we speak, could be uh, bringing out these documents that the inspector general and the intelligence services inside, uh, I think Congress may have given uh, the go-ahead, the green light to release, which is going to really just blow the lid off of this whole thing with uh, Uranium One and, and uh, Fusion GPS and, and, the, and the Crooked Hillary Foundation and everything else that's going on. Jim, thank you for coming on and providing us an update on all of these conspiracies that aren't really conspiracies. They're the truth. It's part of our world part of our life and, and thank you for educating us each time you come on oh i'm just delighted to be here again fred i mean it's just terrific and i think what you're doing is so terribly important i had a, a blog uh, just for christmas you can find it at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com but it's entitled for christmas why we need more conspiracy theorists and i was going nice. through and you know <laughs> Picking out some of the reasons why there's skepticism about conspiracy theories, including uh, there's one approach that defines, believe it or not, defines conspiracy theories as a subset of false beliefs. So that by definition, a conspiracy theory can't possibly be true, which is, of course, absurd. There's another characterization that implies that conspiracy theories are unfalsifiable, which which would be ludicrous. I mean, conspiracy turns out to be the most widely prosecuted crime in the United States. And the idea that you couldn't have a a conspiracy theory that could be uh, found to be true is is ridiculous. In fact, I hold with Michael Moore, who observed when he was asked, do you believe in conspiracy theories? He replied, only those that are true. The problem is sorting out the difference between the true and the false, where I have dedicated myself in collaboration with others to Mm -hmm. take uh, conspiracy theories from the level of rumor, speculation, or guess to to theories in the sense of empirically testable explanatory hypotheses. But the reason I'm recommending this particular article so strongly is I have discerned what I should have realized explicitly, but only implicitly heretofore, the profound methodological difference between the so-called conspiracy theorists and the the others who are so willing to accept what they hear from uh, from the government or other authorities, and it's this. Uh, Sir Karl Popper, the great British philosopher of science, Uh, drew a distinction between confirmations that are instances of an hypothesis that that might seemingly support that it's true, uh, just as we can have instances of copper pennies, and you can have a whole lot of copper pennies as instances that suggest that all pennies are made of copper, versus testing a theory by attempting to falsify that theory. It was Popper's claim and he's uh, 100% correct that the only evidence that should count in favor of a theory is evidence that obtained by being unsuccessful, unsuccessful in the attempt to falsify the theory. And it occurred to me that what the, the those who, of us who are called conspiracy theorists do is to adopt the Popperian methodology of falsificationism to the official government accounts, whether it's uh, JFK, 
9-11, Wellstone, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Charlottesville, Las Vegas, to test them to determine whether or not they are true. And where we have found time after time after time that these official narratives from the government succumb to efforts to falsify them, uh, because for the most part, they cannot withstand critical scrutiny. In many cases, they're relatively flimsy when subjected to a highly analytical dissection, where like to claim all pennies are, are made of copper. If you undertake research, you discover you could do the thought experiment and realize, well, gee, I could imagine, you know, a penny being defined as a, a piece of metal having a value equal to one hundredth of a dollar. You could make a penny out of some other substance than copper. And in fact, that was done in 1943 when copper was in short supply uh, for military purposes. They made pennies out of cop, uh, steel. So the fact of the matter is though you could have a billion confirming instances of, of the hypothesis, all pennies are made of copper. It, it turns out to be false, which you can discover if you attempt to falsify. And we have been doing that again and again and again across the board and, you know, I'm going to give you some updates about our efforts to falsify, for example, the Sandy Hook narrative. There, there's a, a positive result and a negative result. The negative result is that uh, James Tracy lost his suit to be reinstated at Florida Atlantic University. But it's in, a, in essence, the, the prosecutor, who is a big gun, who's a buddy of the governor of the state, and who was appointed to a judgeship after he successfully defeated the Tracy uh, lawsuit, was, was built upon a, a fraudulent misrepresentation claiming that the university had, had fired him for purely administrative reasons because he, hadn't, because he hadn't made out some forms, which was, of course, absurd on its face. This is the professor that came out and spoke out about the questioning Sandy Hook narrative, right? Yeah, absolutely. At yeah. Florida Atlantic, he was an associate professor, tenured, and he, he had among his uh, academic responsibilities a course on conspiracy in the media. So, I mean, this is ludicrous by any way you want to cut it, but he had a personal blog, and, and what happened was that Lenny Posner, who is the, the, uh, the pseudo-father of one of the uh, Sandy Hook victims, Noah, where, as I shall explain, we have proven that they, they fabricated the kids. They were all works of fiction created out of photographs of older kids when they were younger. So there was no actual Noah Posner. He was just made up out of photographs. Uh, where Lenny Posner responded to inquiries from James Tracy about whether he had a bona fide copyright claim on these photographs of, of Noah, which had been all over the world, you know, I mean, it's been published millions of times. And it's obvious on its face that he had no legitimate copyright claim. But what he did was to turn Tracy's perfectly legitimate inquiry, where he was actually performing an act of, of super arrogation, which means he was going beyond the call of ordinary morality in an effort to defend the public from a scam because the, the, the Sandy Hook parents received between 27 and $130 million in donations from sympathetic but gullible Americans. You divide that by 26. That's more than a million bucks for 
pretending to be the parent or relative of someone who didn't die at Sandy Hook, where we'd already proven in the book Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, published in 2015, with 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD college professors, that the school had been closed by 2008, that there were no students there, that it was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, it had been damaged by hurricanes. Turns out there was a major flood in, in uh, Newtown in uh, 2007, uh, which did great damage. And in fact, just as you can get confirming information from unexpected sources, and that happens here in all the cases I'm talking about, one of the most remarkable came from a fellow named Richard Plant, who posted on March 3rd, 2017, the following. The distance by vehicle between Monroe and Newtown is roughly several miles, 10 maximum. In 2010, I was visiting a friend of mine who lived in Monroe at the time. I didn't know this when I was visiting him, but he had an evening appointment one night to go to Sandy Hook Elementary School to pick up a couple of student desks on the cheap for his kids to use at home. When we arrived at Sandy Hook School, the parking lot appeared to not have been in use for years. Inside the building showed signs of previous flooding and water stains were up to about several inches above the floor. There was mold everywhere due to this flooding. The caretaker of the building quickly showed us where to locate the desks, and we got them out and into my friend's vehicle. Further observations of mine indicate that this was a very, very neglected building, and the caretaker even indicated the building was condemned because it was full of asbestos everywhere. The building was a mess. And the fake news want us to believe there were 400 and something elementary children in classes on a fateful day in uh, December 2012 that a guy named Adam Lanza shot and killed some of the children and adult teachers? Give me a break. I spent a lot of years in construction and renovation, and there's just no way any authorities would allow young children into a building such as the one I saw in June of 2010. No wonder the grief the townspeople showed didn't appear genuine even on TV. As a contractor, you deal with a lot of people, but the emotion of the witnesses and parents just wasn't genuine. Well, those are my thoughts on the Sandy Hook story. And they thought they would get away with it? Thank God two of us are that stupid. Well, I must continue to say that this was such a cleverly designed uh, 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 a scenario that it had a tremendous emotional impact on parents all over the country. And of all the issues I deal with, Sandy Hook remains the most controversial, closely followed to my astonishment by uh, the, the death of Paul McCartney on 9-11-1966 and his replacement by an even better musician. For some reason, that strikes a rather large uh, swath of the population as a uh, incredible beyond belief, and they react nearly with a hysteria you get occasionally from Sandy Hook uh, believers. Now, even in the Chronicle of Higher Education, the author reported that uh, this month, this was uh, written on January 15, 2016, this is when he was fired. This month, Florida Atlantic University fired a tenured professor of communications named James F. Tracy, citing his failure to file routine paperwork. This fact is both technically true and essentially false. Tracy was actually fired for bringing shame and embarrassment upon his university by publicly and vocally insisting 
that the massacre of 21st graders and six educators at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December 2012 did not occur. Well, Tracy's been vindicated on all counts. He's a completely uh, brilliant guy, very scholarly, very mild-mannered. What, what Posner did was to imply that Tracy was harassing him, Leonard Posner, so that the public would think how outrageous this guy is so off his nut that he's harassing the parent of a dead child at, at Sandy Hook. And it was uh, promoted by the Sun Sentinel, a newspaper in South Florida, by the Jewish Journal Forward, published a big thing by, by Lenny Posner, who, of course, happens to be Jewish. Uh, they brought a lot of emotion uh, to the issue, and a lot of pressure was put on the administration to fire him. Now, the, the judge in the case actually ruled that what Tracy had done with his blog had been completely independent of his responsibilities with the university. They introduced several witnesses from the university, one of whom said he'd never even heard of this form that you're supposed to fill out related to your outside activities. It turns out that Tracy was betrayed by members of his own union who told him he didn't need to fill out the form to just ignore it, and then the university used that as the grounds to excise him from the university. Tracy is now going about with a motion to appeal the judgment. Uh, I think there's a, a possibility it may occur, but the major uh, miscarriage of justice has already taken place because of the barrage of propaganda intended to uh, uh, support the Posner version of events, even though we know it has no basis or foundation. Now, the interesting uh, development, on the other hand, is that Wolfgang Halbig uh, was being uh, sued by uh, Lenny Posner for having revealed private information. Wolfgang had put up some documents he obtained under Freedom of Information Act requests. Eventually, though that was the issue he had in the beginning in relation to Sandy Hook, because he's a national, uh, nationally recognized school safety expert, he was trying to find out what had happened at Sandy Hook in order to warn other school systems how to avoid it. In other words, his motives could not have been more pure. But then he discovered that his requests were not being answered, uh, that his phone calls weren't being returned. Before he knew it, there were two homicide detectives from a local precinct on his porch in a gated community in South Florida who explained to him they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police to warn him that if he continued to pursue Sandy Hook, that he would be prosecuted. Well, Wolfgang's also a former Florida State Trooper, a former U.S. Customs agent. He's been a school administrator up to and including principal. That wasn't the thing to do with Wolf. And he's been very tenacious about it. He's carried it forward on many different levels. He was able, for example, during formal hearings about his FOIA request to uh, uh, elicit the testimony from Patricia LaLorda, who is the first select man of Newtown, the equivalent of mayor, that the sign, everyone must check in, had not been placed there by the city, by the city but had been placed there by Homeland Security. Now, if you understand the official narrative, no, Homeland Security wasn't there, had nothing to do with it. But in fact, we have, in the course of our research, obtained the copies of the FEMA manual for a two-day exercise beginning on the 13th with a rehearsal going live on the 14th. 
And, and it, it turns out it states right in the manual, everyone must check in. Uh, also, it's standard for FEMA events that they provide restrooms and refreshments, which explains why they had porta potties already in place, why there was pizza and bottled water available at the firehouse. They identify the participants by color-coded name tags on lanyards, which explains why so many who were there had name tags on lanyards, why parents were even bringing children to the scene. Now, no parent would bring their child to the scene of a child shooting massacre. But this was the rehearsal. And in fact, uh, some of the participants became confused about the date. They put up donation websites already the day before it would occur. Even Adam Lanz's date of death was originally recorded in the Social Security Index as having occurred on the 13th, making his feat in shooting 20 children and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. Now, what has happened with Wolfgang in dealing with his case with Lenny is that he secured a, a he, Lenny did not show up for the first three hearings in this trial. Uh, uh, so it turned out the judge gave Wolfgang the right of discovery. Uh, but Lenny was being evasive, and a, a new judge took over the case who was very competent, and he directed Lenny Posner that he had sit down for a video deposition. Lenny did not want to do that. He's made himself scarce. Even when I was interviewed for a, a Showtime program called Dark Net, where they wanted to contrast, you know, they do a show about the use of the internet, and they put one clear-cut positive use of the internet, one clear-cut negative use of the internet, and then they have a controversial case in between. And they came yeah. here and interviewed for many hours, for my part, on a Sandy Hook event, Fred, a Sandy wow. Hook event. Yeah, and Lenny was the one in opposition. And would you believe that, you know, these were some of the clearest television images of me as a person, my face and its definition I've ever seen. But Lenny uh, would not allow them to even uh, video his face. He had to remain in the shadows. So that even Isn't my... That something, he's supposed to be a parent of the Sandy Hook. Right, he's supposed to be my a free parent. Who's, who's been assailed by, you know, James Tracy on the one hand, Wolfgang Helbig on the other. What happened was that after the judge declared that he had to sit for a video deposition at the last moment of time at 4.59 p.m. Eastern time, Lenny withdrew his lawsuit. Now, Wolfgang is going forward to recover legal fees and so forth because Lenny caused him a lot of time and grief. But what Wolfgang has done, among other things lately, is to produce photographs of, say, eight of the Sandy Hook girls, where you can see them alive and well today. Uh, they're obviously 10 years or more older than they were in the photographs. Uh, and this was a, it was an oddity we uncovered relatively recently, that the average age of the 20 mothers of the Sandy Hook children was 36 when the average age for, for first births among the, the American women generally is 26. And this is because they were using photographs that were 10 years out of date. So that mm. Wolfgang has now put up this set of photographs. And would you believe it, just now on uh, Before It's News, if you go to Before It's News, you can find the article. Well, it was originally put up on the 1st of January. Are these the dead Sandy Hook kids all grown up, alive and well? Mm -hmm. yeah. You can find now. And, and where, just to tie this off, and then I'll take questions about Sandy Hook. Uh, I had noticed that uh, 
someone was coming into my blog and removing photographs where we proved that that Noah Posner was made out of photographs of Michael Babner, who was supposed to be his older stepbrother. We even have a gift where you see Noah Posner turn into Michael Babner. I did an interview about Sandy Hook with a fellow by the name of Brian Rue, R-U-H-E. And what happened was that the video, I mean, it was a very comprehensive uh, uh, video, uh, uh, it had only been up there a short while when it was taken down by YouTube because of a copyright claim by Honor, H-O-N-R Network. Well, we replied as follows. You only have 500 uh, characters to reply to a claim like this. Uh, uh, where I, I observe in passing that Honor Network is Lenny Posner, the fake father of the fictional Sandy Hook fiction victim. Noah Are Posner. you kidding me? Oh, my God. Uh, so we submitted this. The person who submitted this claim has done this many times. Check his history. He has 26 websites he uses to harass students of Sandy Hook. His son Noah is a fiction created by photos of Michael Vavner as a child, which we expose in the video. Photos of Noah have appeared all over the world millions of times. His copyright assertion is completely without merit by upholding his claim. YouTube becomes an accessory after the fact of fraud and theft by deception by a bona fide con artist. And would you believe, just I've had the video uh, put up at BitChute, which is not vulnerable to takedowns. You can find it on BitChute, B-I-T, capital C-H-U-T-E, Sandy Hook Update, Tracy Loses, Wolfgang Wins, The Deep State Strikes Back. You can find it there. And Brian Rue has just notified me today, earlier this afternoon, that YouTube has responded, that they have forwarded the, the response to the Honor Network, to Lenny Posner. Now he has 10 to 14 days to decide whether or not he'll take it into court. Uh, and uh, otherwise, if he doesn't, the YouTube will be restored and the strike against Brian Rue's website will be removed. One more point before I take your questions about this. Uh, of all the absurdities, Governor Malloy, who was a participant in this, along with Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, uh, er, er, Eric Holder, uh, uh, the Connecticut State Police, the Newtown School Board, the fake parents and so forth, has now received a Profile and Courage Award from JFK's grandson. I mean, this is adding insult to injury. That's an update about Sandy Hook, and I'm pleased to take any questions you might have about it. Oh, my God. Anybody out there, a comment or question about Sandy Hook? Uh, again, this, this con completely contrived story that, uh, Jim, do you think it was by design? Obviously, the, the, the backstory was it was going to be used to take our guns. It, 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 it blew up and it failed. I think because a lot of people saw through it, don't you think? Well, not for lack of trying. Obama signed no less than 23 executive orders to constrain our access to weapons a month and two days later on January 16th, 2013. Wow. 23 executive orders, Fred. And the, the fact is, you know, they convened a commission in Connecticut to look at this. Uh, I wrote to the commission and explained the whole thing was a fraud. I had released the book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, immediately when Amazon banned it because it was obvious to me it was a political move. 
that they would draw, draw me out forever with no success if I sought to contest it, so I just released the book for free as a PDF. Any of you who'd like to have your own copy of Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, just put in the title, and you can download it for free as a PDF, and all the images are in color. We have subsequently wow. published a second edition, which is available at moonrockbooks.com, uh, and I now have enough material that at some point in time, no doubt, I'll publish a third because, you know, all these results we're talking about now are new, including the proofs of, of Noah being, you know, Michael Vabner. What, what we did, uh, Kelly Watt, who has a very keen eye, she is, uh, has her own commercial and home cleaning service. In, in reviewing, you know, we, had, uh, the, we have 50 photographs in the book in Chapter 7 of them furnishing an empty house to be the Adam Lanza residence. But it's clear it was an empty house. They have the, his room made up neat. They have his room made up messy, but obviously it was either neat or messy at the time. And surely as part of a forensic investigation, you don't make up the bed neat uh, when you find it messy. Uh, there was a, the Nancy Lanza bedroom had, you saw the bed where he's supposed to have shot his mother five times in the head with a single shot 22 rifle. And there's some red stuff on the bed, but it doesn't look like blood. I think it might be raspberry jam. There's some forms on a cedar chest. We find that in many of the other photographs because they were keeping records of how they were arranging the room. But with her keen eye, Kelly noticed a blue moving pad beneath the leg of the bed that in their haste they'd forgotten to remove. Uh, one of the clues that this was an empty house, there's nothing on the walls. There are no paintings, no drawings, no photographs, no maps, no nothing. Look around your house and just think of how much you use open space on walls to decorate with all kinds of you know, attractive features and so forth. But there's nothing there in this house because it was an empty house. And I'm sure the realtor who lent it to them for use uh, instructed them not to make any holes in the walls. So they didn't. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so, Jim, when you type in "nobody died at Sandy Hook" into Google, it'll default to the PDF link that people can download this for free. That's right. That's right. All you got to okay. do is put in your browser "nobody died at Sandy Hook." Nobody being one word. Nobody died at Sandy Hook, and it'll give you. A, 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 there used to be more choices, but Rents and I had a parting of the ways. It was rather odd. It was over Las Vegas. I'll get to that by and by. Okay. And okay. He, he, he deleted all of my archives. I'd been on the, the Rents radio for nearly two years. You're kidding me. No, I'm, I oh, wish I weren't. Jim. And you can't believe the absurdity of it, uh, Fred, because – uh, see, what had happened was, you know, Rents Radio, I've had now, I don't know, I guess I'm on my eighth radio show. I'm on Revolution Radio now, Tuesday yeah. and Thursday from, from, from 4 to 6 Eastern Time, 3 to 5 Central, 1 to 3 Pacific. Uh, the Rents was the only show I ever had where I had to pay for being on the show. Well, uh, I had been paying for Scott Bennett to be on the air, too, for his show, because I think yeah. he's such an important voice. And I had yeah. notified Jeff that we were going to be leaving for another network on the 1st of November. Well, I think he was so embarrassed that he was going to lose us. He was very proud of having us because we were the two-hour shows across the board 
before he came on himself for his three-hour show, so he liked having us there. We yeah. had had a very cordial relationship. I would yeah. not only be doing my, my show every week, but he had me regularly on his, and I think he yeah. wanted to have an excuse to, to explain why I wasn't there. So on the 19th of October, when I finished the show, where I had two featured guests, one an audio-video expert who was explaining how uh, the Las Vegas soundtrack was professionally pre-recorded and played over the PA system and then coordinated with flashing lights. Uh, uh, you know, plus Mona Alexis Presley had been studying the obituaries and discovered they were persons who were born in different states or on different dates or for different causes of death. He fired me after the show. And he claimed, you know, later when I made a point of it, I wrote a blog about it. Uh, that R J Jeff Ritz fired me for this show, and it was ironic because we were paid up until the first of November. I mean, this was, uh, you know, this was offensive in so many different levels. But yet, this mm -hmm. Ritz had been persisting in claiming it had been a real shooting; people had really died. When there's no evidence, I mean, it's simply overwhelming the evidence we have that no one was harmed, including the three closest hospitals to the to the the concert area had no admissions for gunshot victims at all. There weren't any. And, and Are you kidding me? The three closest oh. hospitals had no whole, gunshot yeah. victims? Fred, the whole thing was a fabrication. It was a movie. Stop and ask yourself, what, what does MGM do? MGM makes movies. They made a movie here in Las Vegas and then claimed that 58 people had been killed and over 500 had been wounded. And, and the whole thing was a total fraud. It was completely fabricated. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts, whom I regard as our nation's leading public intellectual, received a yeah. report from highly qualified uh, physicians. One was from a, a medical expert. He described his background treating you know, uh, wounds uh, inflicted by high-velocity ammunition and how devastating they are and how he had reviewed the videos of the various patients, the Las Vegas patients in the hospitals, and that he had been forced to conclude that, that they were all actors, that none of them had actually been hit by a high-velocity round. He cited one case where a guy who's supposed to have been shot in the leg who pops out of bed and stands at attention because Trump is coming to visit him. He said, if you'd been shot in the leg by a round, you not only would have no inclination to get out of bed, you wouldn't have been able to do it. And he was followed by an American trauma surgeon who, who not only confirmed what the military surgeon had observed, but noted that in addition, that the patients in the hospital weren't even connected to the diagnostic equipment as routine as blood pressure and IV drips. I mean, for God's sake, Fred, I lost my balance here a, a month and a half or so ago. Yeah, yeah. On the safe, I went down to the emergency care they had me monitoring my blood pressure the whole time I was there, and I was only on a temporary for, for a diagnosis. Uh, so, I mean, he's absolutely right. It was all contrived. We've looked at 33 of the videos taken during the, during the shooting, and you can hear lots of sounds of shots, but there are no real shots. We found a video now where you can actually hear a crisis actor director tell them they've got to redo the scene because they didn't do it well enough. Uh, we have... You know, uh, multiple photos of transferring bodies, for example, from a funeral home into an ambulance so they can be presented as though they were victims of Sandy Hook. Intel Hub, 
thought it had a mini massacre at Hooters because they discovered 17 ambulances were pulled up in front of Hooters. But yeah. this video, their own video from inside showed there were a whole lot of ward crisis actors sitting around each with their own sheet, patiently waiting their turn to be taken out on a stretcher as another victim. I mean, it's inside disgusting. of Hooters? Inside of Hooters? Huh? <laughs> inside of Hooters? Inside of Hooters, yeah. They were all inside of Hooters, sitting there patiently <laughs> bored, waiting to be taken out on a, on oh a stretcher. God, God almighty. Here's, here's something else about this Stephen Paddock guy, okay? I mean, he was an odd duck anyway. He's supposed to be a multimillionaire who indulges, you know, and he likes to play poker uh, or what have you. Uh, uh, well, not only was he anomalous, but we had the scenes from his his uh, suite at the Mandalay Bay. And there's all these weapons lying around, but there's no footage from him bringing the weapons in. And, and believe it or not, it now turns out that the hotel has admitted that they visited uh, Paddock's room 10 times in the days before the shooting, twice on the day of the shooting, and noticed nothing out of order. Uh, which is very, very peculiar. The photograph of his body lying there with blood, there are a handful of shell casings, but a noticeable lack thereof. I would say there aren't more than a couple dozen shell casings, and Scott Bennett, this former IT, you know, uh, U.S. Army intelligence and PSYOPs officer, noted some of the shell casings are for blanks. Others of the shell casings are CO2 cartridges for gas-propelled pellet guns. In other words, this was done by somebody who's responsible for props. They just threw down a handful, figuring that was going to be sufficient. According to the sheriff, who originally was saying it was absurd to think only one person had done it, and among the reasons he was saying that is that the Wobbies were shot out at the Bellagio, at the Flamingo, at New York, New York, and because they have these visual special effects coming, for example, from the fourth floor of the Mandalay Bay. There was a repeated flashes of light coordinated with the sounds of machine guns on the pre-recorded soundtrack. Above that flashing light in the middle of the hotel, I emphasize, this is not from the 32nd floor on the wing where Paddock's floor was located. There were other light blasts, three light uh, uh, blasts, to simulate modern American military weapons, which fire rounds in three-round three blasts. We have another mm -hmm. video with a man in the crowd turning to fire on the crowd. You can see the light from the blast, but it's blanks. Nobody's hit by it. So, that, you know, even if you are looking at it as a simulated event, there were simulations of shooters at three different locations other than the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay. And, you know, I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's completely... Uh, fabricated, completely phony. This Mona Alexis Presley has been doing brilliant work on the obituaries. When somebody claims they know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, I ask them for the name. I have Mona check them out. I've got a friend by the name of Dean Ryan with whom I even did a video report for a TV show out of Hollywood called The Truth Be Told, uh, and where Dean claimed to know somebody who'd been involved, and I had Mona track him down. He's a guy who has multiple addresses and multiple phone numbers. He appears to be a crisis actor himself. Subsequently, Dean told me he knew a woman who'd been shot. I asked for the name again. It turned out she didn't claim to be shot until a couple days after the event, and Mona tracked it down. Again, completely fraudulent. One of the most stunning aspects of this involved a so-called security guard who's supposed to have knocked on the door of Paddock's room 
and interrupted his shooting, which led him to commit suicide. Uh, they changed the story. It's very odd uh, from uh, that to him having encountered uh, Stephen Paddock before he began the shooting massacre, where Paddock is alleged to have fired 200 rounds down the hallway of the Mandalay Bay. I mean, this is a luxury hotel, and nobody noticed. In fact, yeah. the claim he had broken out the window turns out to be absurd because the windows, uh, they, they, they have uh, their special designed windows. They're extra robust and they're loaded with sensors because the hotel doesn't want guests coming back from having lost their shirt in gambling and committing suicide by leaping out the window. So if yeah. you break a window at the Mandalay Bay, the, the, the security knows it immediately. So claiming that he'd broken out two windows, you know, the security didn't know it was an absurd, preposterous pretext. But get this, the security guard is supposed to knock on his door, and then they change the story. Uh, so it's not at the end of the shooting, but at the very beginning. His name is Jesus Campos. Well, it turns out in, in the, uh, Nevada, if you're a security guard, uh, you have to be registered. But Jesus Campos is not registered as a security guard. He turns out to be driving a brand-new uh, Camaro with no license plate. He's guarded by an unknown security force. He's supposed to be interviewed for five national interviews, including one with Sean Hannity when he disappears. Guess yeah. what? He's up. We have Jesus Campos. There's someone calling himself by that name on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Only yeah, now he's yeah. Now he's put on 30 to 50 pounds, Fred. He's not wearing his glasses. And, and Ellen seems very uneasy about the interview. There's no crowd in the audience, even though it's an emotional story. Typically with an Ellen show, you've got an emotional story. They're panning the audience, but they're not panning the audience here. And guess what? The Ellen DeGeneres show is owned by MGM. Moreover, the, the chief executive officer of MGM sold off 80% of his stock in advance of this event so he could buy it back up on the cheap when the stock dropped. George Soros put a $41 million short on the MGM Mandalay Bay so he'd make a bundle when the stock dropped. About 15 days in advance, crowds on demand began recruiting for an event in Las Vegas. So they seated the crowd. The concert had maybe 20 to 22,000, but they had about 500 crisis actors there who on cue, when they heard the, the sound effects begin and the flashes of light, would scream out, oh my God, I mean shot, bullets, bullets, and the whole crowd would react as though it were true. Uh, oh in, addition, yeah, in addition, we have the, the situation that the Las Vegas coroner's office was on lockdown. Why? Well, because they'd be besieged for death certificates and autopsy reports, but they don't have any. So what did they do? They, uh, they After these, this criticism uh, began circulating, and I was making it in multiple venues, doing a lot of interviews about Las Vegas, they put out a list of names of alleged uh, uh, victims and, and their, their supposed uh, cause of death but the fact is that's not a legally significant document. It, it's like the Sandy Hook case where they claim they gave the death certificates to the New York Post, but the New York Post won't reveal them or share them. It's having their cake and eating it too. We have yet to see a bona fide death, and we have uh, 500 alleged wounded where a typical case, because these uh, bullet wounds are so serious, 
a significant percentage of those wounded by high-velocity rounds die. No one in the wounded category has died. And now Mona's done additional uh, research on that. Here's a victim who claims to have been shot in the back of the head, but he's got long blonde hair and the back of his head isn't even shaved. Here's another guy. He's a white guy. Here's a black guy who claims to have been shot in the neck, but he's doing an interview and he's rotating his head on his neck perfectly properly. Now, here's the latest development. Uh, federal documents reveal Paddock had seven different cell phones. And it now appears that he actually was a, a Vegas arms dealer, that he had all those weapons there so people could see the variety of weapons he had, that he'd been doing this for quite a few years. There's reason to conjecture that the hotel was well aware of what he was doing, that after he'd have visitors come to see him, they'd turn the videotapes for their surveillance, which is massive within the hotel. We had one investor go, go in there, and he found... There were cameras everywhere, including in the elevators, so that Paddock was running some kind of op with weapons. They'd come and choose the weapon they liked, and then he'd arrange for them to do a test firing at a different location. So this at least makes a more plausible explanation of what he was doing there. But believe me, we have nothing but confirmation that nobody died in Las Vegas. It was an elaborate scam. And get this. Here, here I want to add this. Mona has even come up with the uh, crime map for Las Vegas for the one-mile square area around the concert. And it talks yeah. about all the crimes that they were responding to, uh, robbery, other disturbance, other disturbance, recovered motor vehicle, other disturbance, malicious destruction, stolen motor vehicle, assault and battery, other disturbance, assault and battery, other disturbance. No gunshot victims again, none, in the official police crime map report. Holy crap. Jim, this is serious stuff. Man, <laughs> where does Mona live? Does she sleep at all? <laughs> I know, she's just terrific. See, I have I have five or six blogs by her up on my blog spot at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. And I'm in the process of editing a book about Las Vegas, too. But it's good, you know, that it's been delayed this long because I'm getting yeah. more contributions from very good people. Uh, and uh, we have these new developments that will be included in the book. So, you know, I already have a book out about Charlottesville, for example, and wait till you hear about that one, too. But Las Vegas, just a stunning, complete, total fraud. It looks as though there was a plan here uh, by the Chertoff group that this shooting was going to cause them to install these body scanners such as we encounter in airports in all the hotels yeah. and casinos. And then it was going to broaden out to all the public places like churches and schools around yeah. the country. And the Chertoff group, which is headed by Michael Chertoff, who was formerly the assistant to the Attorney General John Ashcroft at the time of 9-11, and who released the, 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 uh, the dancing Israelis, these five ops who were filming the destruction of the World Trade Center and celebrating and giving each other high fives, where they returned to Israel and appeared on Israeli TV and explained they were there to document the destruction of the World Trade Center, who had become our second uh, head of Homeland Security after Tom Ridge, who was the first, and who was 
got all these body scanners into airports where they have untold effects on the body. I mean, no one knew, knows how cancerous they are. A journalist in Las Vegas who was writing in support of the idea of installing these body scanners in all the uh, casinos and hotels in Las Vegas observed, it only delays your arrival by 30 seconds. But stop and think about it. When you go to the dentist, they cover you with a, a lead vest before they subject your teeth to a a millisecond of exposure to do dental x-rays. No telling how much damage can be done to the body in 30 seconds of exposure. Jim, the entire news media has gone dark about Vegas. Why? Because we were blowing it out of the water. They didn't want people to look around and find reports like those I'm giving you here. I mean, we're getting the word out in multiple venues. Kerry Cassidy did a long interview, two and a half hours with me and Scott Bennett. I was on the Power Hour for an hour with a condensed, actually I think it was an hour and 15, with a condensed uh, uh, summary of what we had found. I've done uh, you know, many different interviews about this, and I think they're just worried that if they keep talking about Las Vegas, people are going to realize what a complete and total scam it was. That, see, they're worried, Fred, that if, if, if the public sees through even one of these scams, whether it's Las Vegas, Boston bombing, Sandy Hook, uh, 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 Charlottesville, they're going to see through them all. Because, you know, once you see what's going on, you're just no longer vulnerable to being plagued. Jim, there's video after the fact in Vegas of all the buildings. There's not one bullet hole in any one of these buildings. <laughs> Get this. Get this, Fred. The FBI, the FBI did a cleanup. The whole concert area was never treated as a crime scene. You don't have any definition, no mapping out of where the bodies lay, no attempt to construct the trajectories of the bullets that felled them. Uh, uh, in every possible way, it's not treated as though a crime had been committed. And in addition, the FBI has wiped clean the videos that were taken on cell phones and laptops by participants who were there. Obviously, that's the destruction of evidence. Uh, it's the obstruction of justice being performed by the FBI. Because well, wait a wait a How do they wipe clean this? Do they do that remotely, Jim, or can they? Oh, no, 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 no. These were witnesses who turned them into the FBI, and then when they got them back, they were wiped clean. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like JFK. The FBI placed agents at all of the photo labs around Dallas for two weeks after the assassination. And whenever any photos or videos came through that related to Dealey Plaza, they simply took them and left a card saying that it's been uh, you know, appropriated as evidence in the investigation, the vast majority of which was never returned, some of which, when it was returned, had been edited and changed. So, yeah. you know, this is something that the government has become very proficient at doing. Okay. Okay, man. Uh, I, I I don't want to get bogged down in one subject here, but you've got so much to share, Jim. What 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 what, what is the next best thing to share here? Well, it, it, uh, I'll talk about... Uh, it, what anything with JFK. Going. Anything with JFK you want to update us. Oh, sure. I can get you that right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, we have done additional studies related to JFK, uh, including 
the backyard photographs, we've been able to identify the body double for the backyard photographs. Now, uh, Lee Oswald told Will Fripps, the homicide detective who was interrogating him, that was somebody else's body with his face pasted on. Jack White had noticed that while there are multiple of these photographs, four altogether, that the face is exactly the same, even though they're taken at different times and different poses. That's an optical impossibility. Well, Jim Mars, who departed this earth this year, yeah, and I of the backyard photographs, we published an article on my blog entitled Framing the Patsy, the Case of Lee Harvey Oswald, where we pointed out that the backyard photographs were fabricated, that the chin was a block chin, not Oswald tapered chin, that there was an insert line between the chin and the lower lip, uh, the similarity of the, the, the facial expression and shadow in all of the photographs, that the fingertips of the right hand are cut off, uh, Jack Whitehead noticed that because he's holding these two communist newspapers, the worker and the militant, whose dimensions are known, he had an internal yardstick to, 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 to calculate the height of the individual involved. He turned out to be only 5'6", uh, by that yardstick, meaning either they'd use someone who was too short to be Lee, or rather, when they fabricated the photographs, they put the newspapers in a bit too large. Jim and I both agreed that the person who stood in for him was a Dallas police officer by the name of Roscoe White, who not only had the same blocked chin, but had this funny, funny bump on his right wrist from the bone that didn't heal properly. Larry Rivera was able to obtain a photograph of Roscoe White uh, in the right stance and, and created a gif of him in the backyard photographs, and you can see that it's Roscoe White that stood in for Lee, and he's also put up images of Lee against the photographs that are supposed to be Lee, and you can see that Roscoe was bigger and heftier than Lee, so Lee had it exactly right. We've also done further studies about the man in the doorway, which, uh, which students of JFK from uh, Harold Weisberg to Jim Garrison believed was Lee Oswald standing in the doorway. Uh, we've been able to confirm that not only based on the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt, which correspond to the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt Lee was wearing when he was arrested, but the facial features seem perhaps too indistinct to make a, an analysis, but Larry, again, found the perfect images for Lee and for Billy Lovelady, who's the only candidate that's ever been offered as an alternative, and when you insert them into the images of the man in the doorway, it's a perfect fit for Lee Oswald. It's a poor fit for Billy Lovelady. The, the chin is wrong, the ears are too low, the nose is too big. But it turns out there was a, a colleague standing beside him in the doorway with his hands elevated to protect him from the son who's wearing a short sleeve shirt that was obfuscated in the photograph. And that turns out to have been Billy Lovelady who had actually gone to the FBI on the 29th of February wearing the red and white vertically striped short sleeve shirt he said he was wearing at the time. So we've confirmed that. And the third, and in some ways most stunning of all result with regard to JFK was, it occurred to me looking at these photographs from the autopsy, they're supposed to be the body of JFK, that they didn't look right to me. So I rotated them 90%, so it's as though he was standing and we compared the left profile with the left profile of JFK, the right profile with the right profile of JFK. These are photographs touted by Robert Grodin in his book, The Killing of a President, which many regard as a definitive work on the assassination. 
when we did a, a GIF, it turns out that the, the body in the autopsy photographs of JFK is not even the body of JFK. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> That's the one where he's on his, on, on his back, right? And you could yeah. see and, he, and his head is just looking straight up. That's right. Wow. And you just turn that around in the profile and, and mirror it, 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 it into the yeah. profile. And, and it's clearly not JFK. Now, there's a fellow in New York who has, for years, I mean, decades, really been arguing that it was Officer J.D. Tippett who bore a certain resemblance to JFK, so he had a nickname, you know, on the force. But in fact, we, uh, uh, when I put the blog up about this, and you can find it online too, uh, uh, JFK, uh, Bethesda autopsy photos, not JFK, Oswald framed Warren Commission a, a sham. You can find the images there. I included an image of J.D. Tippett, and he does not bear a resemblance to the man on the slab. And in fact, I knew from Dennis Davis, who was a non-commissioned officer who logged everyone coming in and going out of the of the autopsy at Bethesda, that he'd been instructed not to log in uh, uh, the body of. He was told it was the major. Well, if you got the whole military, American military to draw from, you can find someone who bears a very striking resemblance to almost anyone you want. Apparently, the major was taken to serve as a stand-in for JFK and was used as the subject for those autopsy photographs. And they, they kind of brushed up his hair a little bit, messed it up and all of that, or whatever they had to do. Oh, well, that was one of the oddities. In fact, there's such a striking difference between the photographs that Grodin produced which have this long hair, very matted, all kinds of gunk in the hair, versus when the House Select Committee reinvestigated the case, uh, we know there was a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head. In fact, Commander Humes at Bethesda had taken a cranial saw to the skull of JFK and greatly enlarged it so as the whole missing back of the head and well up toward the top to try to make it look as though it might have been the effect of a shot from behind. But the HSCA incredibly shrunk it to just this tiny entry wound at the top of the head at the Calwick. And they reconstituted the whole back of the head, which isn't even consistent with the Harper fragment, this big triangular chunk of the skull that was found on the grass the following day, uh, which makes it quite bizarre. But the fact is, JFK's hair is very neatly trimmed. His hair is very clean. So that when they did a deposition of Thomas Ev uh, uh, Evan Robinson, uh, who was the, uh, uh, no, when they did a deposition of Commander Humes, they asked him some questions that had come from members of my research group, including, was the patient given a shampoo and a haircut during the autopsy? To which he replied, no, 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 no. I mean, it sounds absurd, doesn't it? But when you contrast the HFC photographs where the hair is clean and neat with a gunk and long of the, of the rodent, you know they can't both be fake, but in fact they can uh, both be they can't both be true, but they can both be fake. All four of those photographs are fake photographs. There's an ironic little story. Uh, Robert Grodin and I were both invited to speak to an advanced high school class down in Dubuque, Iowa, and we were having lunch together before we spoke to the class, which had been devoting the whole semester to the study of the assassination of JFK. And Grodin said to me as a gesture that I could use his color photographs from the autopsy, and I said to him, but they're fake. He didn't utter <laughs> a word. He didn't utter a word in response. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Charlottesville, uh, I mean, there's this whole thing of the backdrop of the dossier and everything else. You may want to put a blanket on that at the end uh, in light of Hannity and the release of, 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 of uh, uh, Sarah Carter's work and everything else. But uh, what, what's going on with Charlottesville? Sure, I'll tell you about Charlottesville, and then we can conclude with the Boston bombing because there's been a very significant okay. development there. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. It, had, had I presented to you about Charlottesville, Fred? Uh, uh, yes, I when, you were on, when you came on, the last time you came on, it was a week and a half after Charlottesville had happened. Okay. so you actually, there were... I'm, so, I'm sorry. It was a week and a half after the Las Vegas bombing came on. But you you did you did come on uh, a few months ago about Charlottesville once I think. Okay, well about Charlottesville. Then you know there were two cars. There were two different drivers. There was a, there were actually it turns out to be three different takes of the crash. The whole thing was contrived in a, a pr- elaborate production in three three acts so that Friday night they had a torchlit parade a, a march onto a statue of Thomas Jefferson on the campus of the University of Virginia, affectionately known as Mr. Jefferson's University. And the following day, the Charlottesville police were told to stand down so the state police could channel the protesters who had a permit into a violent confrontation with Antifa and Black Lives Matter representatives who'd been bussed in by George Soros. Meanwhile, a few blocks away, there were several vehicles lined up for a crash that would be the spectacular event of the occasion. But in fact, there were two different candidates for the driver. The actual driver turns out to be a 32-year-old military veteran, not the 20-year-old diagnosed schizophrenic who's on antipsychotic medication and wears heavy prescription glasses. There were two Dodge Challengers involved. One had a black stripe, the other didn't. One had a sunroof, the other didn't. But there were three different takes of the crash. One, you see the Challenger, and there's no vehicle in the vicinity whatsoever. The second, you see the Challenger, and there's a black Toyota pickup truck right beside it. The third, you see the Challenger crash into the back of two vans that have actually been sitting there with no drivers for about five minutes prior to the event. And when the, the, the driver of the Challenger backed out. I was just dumbfounded because he backed out with such skill it would have befed a, a NASCAR driver. Well, here are the, the more recent developments. They had an independent review of what happened in Charlottesville by a, a former federal attorney uh, by the name of Timothy Heapy, H-E-A-P-H-Y, Heapy. Uh, uh, but his review committed three colossal blunders. The, the first blunder, he claimed that James Alex Field was the, was the driver uh, when James Alex Field was not. This was, guy was the patsy. This is a 20-year-old diagnosis schizophrenic. We got uh, you know, images that are distinct enough of the man who was driving to tell it was a 32-year-old military veteran. It wasn't James Alex Field, even though the New York Times wrote up an article about what we know about James Alex Field driver charged in Charlottesville killing 13 August 2017. So I got the wrong driver. Number two, this woman who's supposed to have died there by the name of Heather Heyer, and in his report, he cites her death five different times in the report on page six, twice, page seven, page 163, a timeline on page 193, 
which states 1.41 p.m. James Field drives vehicle into crowded 4th Street and Water Street, killing Heather Heyer and injuring dozens. Well, Boda did research, and she had trouble tracking down Heather, but she died the following day, uh, uh, not the day of the the event. Uh, And, in fact, uh, she died from a heart attack. Even her mother admitted she died from a heart attack. We found further uh, photographic evidence. Uh, It it looks like a woman is sort of in this green top lying on one of the vehicles that's supposed to be Heather Heyer, we see her carried out on a stretcher, but she's too old to be Heather Heyer and rather more copulous. Get this is a fascinating development. The mother of alleged victim Heather Heyer turns out to be uh, the mother of a teacher uh, at, at Sandy Hook. I mean, if they use the same crisis actor for both roles. This is a, the my, mother. My, my God. Yeah, I know, I know. Fred is just outrageous. This will even top that. Get this. He reports that the two state troopers died in a helicopter crash, and we got a lot about that. In fact, even the National Transportation Safety Board released a report on 5 September 2017 that didn't identify the cause of the crash, but confirmed that Lieutenant H.J. Cullen and Trooper Pilot J.M. Bates were both killed in the crash. Here's a sentence from it. The National Transportation Safety Board's preliminary report released on September 5th did not posit uh, the cause of the crash, but noted that there was no indication the helicopter collided with any other objects. Lieutenant H.J. Cullen and Trooper Pilot uh, Burke M.M. Bates were both killed in the crash. Uh, That's right from the uh, uh, NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board. Well, that's very surprising because we have photographs of the troopers departing the scene of the crash wearing their flight uniforms and very much alive. That the NTSB should be participating in this event does not surprise me since they covered up the causes of the death of Senator Paul Stone, his wife, daughter, and three aides and their two pilots on 25 October 2002, as John P. Costello, Ph.D., and I explained in the NTSB failed Wellstone which you can find at fromthewilderness.com. We have proven that government agencies are participants in these events to promote a political agenda or cover up crimes. And in my blog about this, which you can find online, you know, on my blog, Three Massive Blunders in the Independent Report on Charlottesville by Timothy Heatfee of December 5th, 2017, I put it up. We include a video a video where you can see these two troopers walking away from the crash scene in their their flight uniforms very, very much alive. Oh, my it, God. Wow. It's just embarrassing, Fred, how bad this is. So that's out political theater in Charlottesville, available at moonrockbooks.com. If anyone has questions about Charlottesville, I'm glad to take them because, you know, then I'll conclude by talking about the Boston bombing because there's been a significant event that has occurred here, too. Anybody want to chime in about uh, Charlottesville briefly? Just star six your phone. I think I think that's fine. Jim, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, do the Boston All right. bombing, then we'll, then we'll do, a, do a closing recap. All right, the Boston bombing hoax unravels. I'd long been in contact with a retired professor of law by the name of uh, 
John Remington Graham, uh, where I had shared with him the evidence we'd accumulated about the bombing. And I asked him what, from a legal point of view, was the most significant. And he had told me it was that the backpacks don't match, that the backpack on the, the backpacks on the brothers don't match the backpacks that exploded. Now, the FBI, in their investigation of the Boston bombing, in their formal report, that the two backpacks that exploded were both in black nylon. The two bombs that exploded were both in black nylon backpacks. And that's even in the indictment for Zoker before the court where he was convicted of, uh, of murder for this, uh, you know, for the Boston bombing. Well, it turns out that we had already covered the night of the event that the actual perps who planted the backpacks were these craft international personnel tacky trousers, black jackets with black baseball caps with a skull insignia where the motto of craft is, violence does solve problems. We'd also notice that uh, we have a pair of these guys heading toward the location where one of the bombs explodes. One of them is wearing a black nylon backpack with a white square sewn on it. The bomb that explodes is a black nylon backpack with a white square on it. Then we see him rushing away, no longer wearing the black nylon backpack with a white square. But you, the, the, image wow. the, bro- <laughs> the images of the brothers that they actually photoshopped in, I mean, they weren't really there. This is how far they go out of their way to fabricate evidence. They aren't wearing black nylon backpacks. Uh, Zoker has a silver backpack. Uh, Tamerlan, his brother, has a dark backpack, but is of a completely different design. It's not a black nylon backpack like the one that exploded. So you can compare the backpacks uh, of Zoker and the ones that exploded. Remember, both the ones that exploded were black nylon, so he's got a silver backpack. Obviously, it's not his backpack. So John Remington Graham had told me that was striking because since the backpacks don't match, that meant there wasn't even probable cause for an arrest, much less an indictment or a conviction in a court of law. So guess what? He submitted an amicus curiae brief to the appeals court for the second district, uh, uh, for the first district, the United States Court of Appeal for the First uh, Circuit, uh, on behalf of three U.S. citizens, the three U.S. citizens being uh, James Fetzer, Ph.D., natural-born citizen of the United States and emeritus professor of philosophy at the University of Minnesota Duluth, Mary Maxwell, Ph.D., LLB, natural-born citizen of the United States, previously working in Australia, now president in the United States, and Caesar Baruja, M.D., a naturalized citizen of the United States, born in Paraguay and practicing medicine over the past 30 year- years, be granted the right to appear as witnesses to explain that the backpacks did not match. Now, he laid it all out. Fred, it's never happened in the history of American jurisprudence that an appeals court has accepted an amicus curiae brief, but in this instance, they did. It's already a part of the formal record. It's going wow. to lead to a reversal of the trial. The whole case is going to be thrown out. And there's going to be a major investigation of what happened, which we've already documented in the book, and nobody died in Boston either. State-sponsored terrorism with Hollywood special effects. Oh, my God. Jim, that's explosive. No pun, but man. I know it. I know it. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Oh, God. You work at this oh. long enough and enough, and sometimes you enjoy a success like Wolfgang, you know, Lenny Posner withdrawing. Uh, yeah. and, and now, and, you know, now we got more of the photographic evidence of the kids. Them died at Sandy Hook. I mean, look, this, this, this is going to make a tremendous impact during the course of this year as all of these events come out and they're exposed. And you even observed how quickly they dropped talking about Las Vegas. I guarantee you. Yeah, because... it's gone. It's gone. No one talks, talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't exist. Well, wait, till, wait till the book's out. Wait till the book's out. It's going to blow your socks off. All right. Uh, Jim, uh, we started the, the call tonight uh, against the backdrop of Hannity possibly releasing these documents. Uh, do you have any comments on that? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, more and more evidence has been coming out that the, the FBI themselves were deeply involved. It appears that uh, 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 McCabe, for example, or Comey may have actually paid for the for the Russian dossier to be made up by Christopher Steele. This means there was corruption right at the very core of the FBI. It was concocted to be used with the FISA court to obtain survey the the Trump team uh, during the campaign, which the FISA court had rejected previously. So they had to concoct some evidence to get the FISA court to reverse itself so they could spy on the Trump people these are profound Hillary partisans. These are Obama holdovers. Even the appointment by Rod Rosenstein of Robert Mueller to do the investigation was in violation of Department of Justice protocols because you have to have a real defined crime for a special counsel to investigate. In this instance, all they had were rumors, speculations, guesswork. Not only did they have no evidence then, but no evidence has emerged since. There was no Russian hacking. It was a fabricated event that was made up by Robbie Mook and John Podesta within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech. They wanted to distract attention from the incompetent campaign they'd run, from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelations that led right to Pizzagate, where John Podesta himself is pedophile-in-chief, and away from Hillary's involvement with Russia involving the transfer of 20% of American uranium reserves to Russia by the Canadian company Uranium One, which was endorsed by Barack Obama. Now stop and think about it. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg received the electric chair for sharing atomic secrets for the Soviet Union. What do Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama deserve for transferring 20% of American uranium reserves to Russia? Incredible. And, and and the only media source that's talking about this is Fox News. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's absolutely stunning. You're so right, Fred. Uh, Hannity has been virtually shouldering the burden. He is yeah. the most objective and responsible commentator out there. And it astonishes because a couple of years ago, I thought Fox was nothing but propaganda and the other networks were legit. I discovered the situation <laughs> is precisely the opposite. CNN is propaganda 24-7. A study was done of 100 of those who work for CNN, the dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. It's a complete CIA op. And I can tell you, uh, MSNBC is not dissimilar. Lawrence O'Donnell 
this joy, this A.M. joy, and Rachel Maddow, even, who my wife adores, I'm convinced they are equally seen by day. In fact, I now refer to the mainstream media as the Mockingbird media, because it's a culmination of Operation Mockingbird that began in the 1950s to infiltrate the media, where even William Colby informed Congress in 1975 that the media already owned everyone, the CIA owned everyone of significance in the media. There was, of course, at the time, no alternative media, which is why they've been about the fact that the alternative media has become so strong and is getting too much inconvenient truth out before the American people. And incredible. Well, and now they've spun off the cable and movie division of Fox, uh, or they're trying to at least, uh, to maybe make the um, news part uh, more of a shell of itself. I, maybe maybe they want to, uh, you know, they got real, real rid of O'Reilly. <clears throat> uh, there's just so much going on. Now, Jim, your comments on the Harvey Weinstein tsunami effect, the Me Too movement and everything else, it seems to be genuine, seems to be real. Do you think it'll finally unravel and expose the pedophilia problem in our world? Well, it's very, very interesting. I just today published a major article by Tony Mead, who's been a very diligent student of Sandy Hook, entitled Satanic Pedophilia Within Our Society. If you want an overview about the pedophile problem in the United States, Tony has given an excellent overview, which is the latest on my blog. So if you go to jamesfetzer.blogspot.com, there it is. The Harvey Weinstein thing is vast. He was an incredibly despicable person. He was using these women as sex slaves. The story I have is that Gwyneth Paltrow was his virtual concubine. Now, what's fascinating about this is not the series of lesser players that have been taken down, including Al Franken. Uh, Roy Moore in Alabama is very suspicious because there appears to have been a lot of voter fraud. There was one community of 1,100 that cast 26,000 votes for his Democratic opponent, for example. But rather, it's Oprah, Oprah, who gave this marvelous speech at the Golden Globes. I mean, it was just so powerful, so well-crafted, immediately became a, an odds-on front runner for the Democratic nomination. But it turns out that a French actress has reported that Oprah pipped her out to Harvey Weinstein, that there are hundreds of photographs with Harvey Weinstein where Oprah appears to be adoring Harvey Weinstein. And of course, Oprah herself has had this lesbian relationship with her close friend, Gail, forever. Stedman is her beard. So I don't think Hillary's going to last. But if one were looking for a black woman candidate to run for president of the United States, I have a name for you. Cynthia McKinney. Oh, wow. Holy cow. That <laughs> wouldn't be so bad. You're right. <laughs> She's sensational. Oh. It, was she, oh. it was she who expo- exposed that when new members of Congress arrive in Washington, they're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. And those who don't find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate the next time around, or even that their district have been redrawn and they no longer have a seat. That's what happened to Dennis Kucinich. His district was redrawn, so he no longer had a seat. I regarded 
Dennis Kucinich is the single smartest member of the entire Congress, Senate, and House combined. Cynthia was able to survive those obstacles to serve eight terms. She's a woman yeah. of courage and convictions, and she knows she knows which which side of her bread is buttered. She knows how the game is played. She'd be very yeah. effective to to precipitate cleaning up the swamp. And let me say, there are multiple signs that this is actually happening. That Trump is actually cleaning up the swamp, and and this includes the fact that we have. Uh, prominent figures like Hillary Clinton, John McCain, Hugh Abbott, and wearing these GPS boots that I'm quite certain they would prefer not to be wearing. There's a whole lot going on. Uh, some of it may come out tonight with Hannity, but I suspect this is more to do with the FBI corruption and how okay. they were cleaning up. There were Hillary had an inside guy named Peter Strozak who was actually interviewing key players and giving them a clean bill of health, suggesting they didn't know she even had a private server. But there's evidence that proves beyond any doubt they were aware. And we even modified the report given by uh, James Comey that said she'd been extremely careless when, when actually the original showed she displayed r- reckless disregard, which met the standard for prosecution. So that by this guy Strozik uh, modifying the statement, Hilch was uh, exonerated from prosecution when even in Comey's original version of the statement, she deserves prosecution. Well, Jim, these are highly charged revelatory times. I mean, I, I think this last year, you have to admit, uh, things are really, really ramping up as far as truth being revealed. In, in so many quarters of our world, and it's it's got to be gratifying for you as hard as you worked and for us as hard as we have tried to connect all of these things uh, to see this all play out before our eyes. It's, it's, uh, I want to say on behalf of all of us here, thank you for your efforts. Thank you for your work, and, uh, and, and, and good luck with the trip to Portland and to Seattle and wherever you may travel. Uh, uh, anybody else out there, just a comment or a question or a thank you to Jim? Oh, anybody would just want to chime oh, Fred, in? Fred, I just want to real quick ask, ask James if he, if he watched the uh, fake news awards that Trump put on. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah. I did. I recorded, I recorded that was brilliant. Today on, on my show, I went through the fake news awards. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Between him and Trey Gowdy, I don't know how anybody's going to be left untouched from the swamp. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Trey Gowdy. He's oh, man, he's my hero. <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. I expect we're going to see big things, much more of Trey Gowdy. Uh, oh, yeah. brilliant in using the media. And the fake news awards for 2017 even added in 11, not just 10. He gave us 11. Absolutely sensational stuff. Paul Krugman saying now that the you know the the markets were going to fall and collapse that the really the economy was over with Trump as president, and then we had you know the reporters who were uh, claiming uh, he, he had been involved in activities not I mean it's a wonderful sensational variety of of cases for fake news and there's so many others that could be added on to that list. Oh yeah, it's just really amazing that he came out with exactly what stories were the were the ones that had been proven wrong. You know, <laughs> oh, okay. but, but, 
there are a dozen, dozen to go along with the 11 that he cited there. It's just astounding. Tip of a very, very large iceberg. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's this, so is, uh, this is Nick in Texas. I'm going to be arranging a new interview with uh, Cynthia McKinney on the Christian Revolt Long Overdue Radio Program. Wonderful. We're going to be discussing uh, organizing militias. Wonderful. I'm a huge fan of Cynthia. I think she's a completely admirable human being. And, uh, you know, I think Oprah is ultimately not going to run. She runs too many risks. And, you know, the point being made that Oprah really wasn't on the side of women in the past, but was on the side of supplying uh, 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 Weinstein. And that's not going to go down well. And believe me, if she's in a political contest, that's going to be the first issue that's going to be put out on the table. Yep, that's not going to last too long. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, Nick, thank you for chiming in there uh, and what you're doing with Cynthia and, and the cause of what you're talking about, reestablishment of the militia, the work of Edwin, Dr. Edwin Vieira, a Molin Lobby, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you, Nick. Anybody, uh, anybody I've, else? I've also, filed, I've also filed to run again uh, in 2018 on the Libertarian Party of Texas ticket. Oh, great. God bless you, Nick. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Because we're going to let Jim go. You know, you only have so much time. And uh, 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 anybody else? One final call. All right, Jim, thank you so much. Again, Godspeed. God bless. Thank you for all of your work, for all of your intentions, as sound as they may be, and, 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 and this, the spreading of this truth. Uh, not just on the internet, but all across by word of mouth. We need to do more to meet, greet, touch people with this information. And, and we're so gratified to be able to have you on periodically on the show. My great pleasure, Fred. I'll be glad to come back anytime. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everyone. I hope the weather gets warmer where you're at. We warmed up here in Chicago. See you guys next week. Thanks for the call. Yep. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, see you in Portland, Jim. <laughs> right. Thanks. See you there. Okay. Hey, good night, everyone. Take care. Have a great weekend. A-U-N. American Underground Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.